Hi, I'm Heather Mulder. And I'm Janice Greeno, and you're listening to Dementia Untangled, where we explore the topic of dementia through conversations with physicians, experts, and community leaders. Our discussions focus on innovative ideas, practical strategies, and proven methods to guide caregivers along a supportive path. Hello, and welcome to Dementia Untangled. Thank you for joining us for this special bonus episode of our podcast. Today, our conversation will be with Stephen Druckmann, a playwright, and we will be discussing his play, Prue Pain, which will experience its world premiere with the Arizona Theater Company in March of 2023. Prue Pain is the 2022 winner of the Edgerton Foundation New Play Award and was written by Pulitzer Prize nominee Stephen Druckmann. It's a remarkable, funny, and emotional journey about the evolution of love and identity in the face of memory loss. I love having conversations about these artistic endeavors. I think of books like Still Alice, which later was made into a movie, which kind of opened people's eyes to the experience of living with dementia. It's a way to start conversations. It's a way to raise awareness. I recall a few years ago, we had a a play called Forget-Me-Nots come through Phoenix, Arizona. And really the intention of this play was to raise awareness in the Black community um, of the impact of dementia, what they can do about it, getting involved in research. It's really an opportunity for art to open doors to larger conversations. The art of storytelling is so powerful. And stories like this help to raise awareness about dementia. Uh, They help to reduce the stigma around the topic, to build empathy for people who are living with dementia and their caregivers or care partners, their families, and to see the impact and kind of experience the impact with them that it has on these individuals and and their colleagues, including the emotional impact, Heather. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to learning more about Prue Payne today. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, not at all. Thank you. I'm both delighted and excited to be here uh, with you both today. Thank you. Before we learn more about Prue Payne, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your journey and what led you to connect with the dementia community? I can tell you about myself. I am a playwright. Before I was a playwright, I was a journalist, mostly for the New York Times, but for other people as well, other uh, magazines and newspapers and so on. And uh, I got a PhD in the field as well. This was all before I ever wrote my first play. What I never really had any connection with the dementia community or uh, dementia as a subject before writing Prue Payne. However, this was uh, sort of my maiden voyage into this new understanding of the world. And It's one of those rare experiences where I think a creative artist gets to enrich his 
his knowledge and his his understanding and and uh, his place in the world be, because of subsequent events uh, after writing the play that one doesn't often get as a, as an artist that you you do do have a sort of life passage that comes with the creation of of your latest work so it's been it's been already before the play has opened uh something of an adventure for me Stephen, you described this as kind of your maiden voyage into dementia and i'm curious to learn what was the inspiration for crew pain when i was writing for the times i had an interview with diana trilling Diana Trilling uh, is, to my thinking, one of our leading, or was one of our leading public intellectuals. And she happened to be married to Lionel Trilling, who, uh, to most everyone's thinking, was uh, one of our leading public intellectuals. And I can't remember the assignment for the Times, what was the occasion for speaking to Diana Trilling, but I was very excited about it because she is also in her own right, a great writer and thinker. And the entire time she kept deferring to her husband, his thoughts, his ideas, his essays. And I remember at the time I filed away this idea, someday, Stephen, you want to write a play uh, about a, a public intellectual, a female public intellectual and give them their moment on the stage. Because there are so many that I do love, whether it's Susan Sontag or Elizabeth Hardwick or Mary McCarthy or you know many others like that, Joan Didion. And then, I so I filed that away, that idea. And then what happened was in 2016, we had a presidential election, which you might remember. And I thought, my goodness, no matter what your ideology is or, or who you vote for, we have to recognize that culturally we're slipping a bit, that we no longer value the greatest that has been thought and said, as, as Matthew Arnold said about what defines culture. How did this happen? What And, and don't we need to sort of have a firmer grasp on these things, lest they slip away. And suddenly, like a eureka moment, I thought, here's your play about a female public intellectual who is of a certain age, who finds her storehouse of the greatest ideas slipping away. It's, a, it's kind of a great metaphor for what might be happening in our country. And so naturally, I just landed on Alzheimer's-like dementia, which is what she had. I, I won't say too much more, but I, I placed the play in 1988 because that was, for me, a signal moment of when I noticed we were starting to, to lose our national grip a little bit. And quite uh, conveniently, it uh, gave me a setting of a time when we didn't know so much about dementia. So I, or at certainly as much as we do now, and particularly Alzheimer's. So I placed my character there. Uh, and that in brief is, is was the sort of inspiring origin story of, uh, of Prue Payne, this character I, I just created, Prudence Payne, Prue, uh, but the title is Prue Payne. What a fascinating metaphor and this story, 
you mentioned her name, Prue Payne, and then Prudence Payne. Can you tell us more about her name and the background story behind that? Yes, her, her name, her full name is Prudence Payne, but somehow early on, she became to be known as Prue Payne. And this, again, speaking of metaphors, uh, acts as, uh, well, it has, it, it sort of has two functions in the play. One is that being a woman, she, she is named and sort of named with a kind of diminutive name early on by me, the men around her. They just call her Prue. And she confesses at the beginning, she never really liked it. She always saw herself as prudence pain. But the other uh, working metaphor is that from the beginning, we her driving action is that she must complete a memoir. And a memoir to a critic is a sort of regathering of all your ideas and your notions and your theories and your conceits of the wor- about the world. It's not like an artist who can put together uh, a series of photographs or paintings or even a fiction writer who can have his or her collected short stories or poems, that sort of thing. And so she's trying to remember herself as Prudence Payne. Uh, she, has, she, she talks about being called Prue Payne as a sort of dismembering act. So it it's uh, it was one of those lovely sort of uh, things that sort of dropped from the heavens as you're writing a play. I just really liked the name Prue Payne, and uh, and named the play Prue Payne. Stephen, you describe Prue Payne as a public intellectual, and in conversations that I've had with um, individuals at the Arizona Theater Company, uh, they really talked about how you put so much thought into the script, how you belabored each word that you put into this play. Um, In fact, uh, Mimi Kennedy is going to be starring as Prue Payne, and our our listeners may remember her from shows like Dharma and Greg. Um, She's going to be taking the stage as Prue Payne, which is her first time on stage in over a decade. What does this mean to you? And what does this say about your play? I would love to believe that it's because she uh, read it and was smitten instantly. <laughs> um, and I think that actually is the case. She said that she uh, picked up the play, uh, read it, and got to the end and was sobbing. And I think it was Meryl Streep who who once said, if if that happens when you're offered any project, that you must say yes to it. And so she uh, is coming back to the stage, and I'm I'm more than fortunate to have her do this for for this character that I've created. I thought she was the right person for it because I've I've enjoyed her for so long, and particularly her role in Woody Allen's film. I don't know if you've seen it, um, Midnight in Paris, I believe it's called, and she's she plays this kind of starchy. Uh, Upper East Side woman who's who's somewhat intolerant, somewhat somewhat uh, cut off from her feelings. We call these people emotionally unavailable, and that is also the journey of this character, Prue Payne. She she starts as one of those kinds of characters and um, ends up finding her heart. You know, with for all it's lovely that that uh, people say that I I 
pour over every word uh, of my plays. Uh, and it is true that I do. It makes me sound, however, like this sort of master craftsman. I'm not sure I really am that. I, at the end of the day, an expression I loathe actually, but uh, <laughs> I'm a big sort of softy. I'm a, I'm a big crybaby. And this play uh, is ultimately a love story. And it does really have, have at readings and, and developmental workshops that we've done, it has people just sort of weeping in their seats at the end. So uh, I just thought Mimi is, because uh, Mimi is clearly someone possessed with great intellect and can do that frostiness, but also is, is underneath it all just this teddy bear. So for you to evoke this type of emotion from people, tell us a little bit about how you developed these characters what tends to happen for me and for many playwrights that I have spoken to and, and have been interviewed is that if you're doing your work well enough, if you really know what your character must have uh, for the, for the play to have its rising action, which is what we call. Uh, and if you are really in the skin of this person, there comes a, point where the characters lead you and at its best the getting in in the zone of writing a play and developing a character it, what you're doing is you're sort of following them and you're just kind of taking dictation from from the character and this ended up it took many many drafts for me to really believe this and really trust Prupain to take me there, but this is really a love story. She ends up falling for someone in whom you would never believe she would find the slightest interest. And the question arises, this isn't a, a kind of Alzheimer's uh, or a dementia-related question, who is the real person here then? I mean, her son, who is very much like her and intellectual, feels he must intervene and stop this this sentimental movement that she's going towards and and uh, put a kibosh on this relationship because the real prupain would never uh, have this kind of experience and yet she is as the play goes on really finding her heart so the you know the literal answer to your question and it sounds so precious but it's true is that you follow your characters they they tend to tell you where they want to go you talked earlier about kind of 2016 was this impetus for you to kind of get that fire to, to write this. And really the thought behind it was sort of you seeing something getting lost in the fabric of society. But through your writing of this play, you're bringing up a lot of common issues, you know, questions of who the person is and how do we honor who they were and, and accept who they're becoming with dementia, not being the original intent of the play. What kind of research did you do about it? The research part of, of the play, which usually I think for more well-organized playwrights that they have that down first, you know, they will say, I want to write a play about dementia. My character is going to experience dementia. I am then going to get 
well-versed in the different types of dementia and, and research Alzheimer's. I had to sort of do that on the fly as I'm following Prue through, through the play. And then because I love research, because I am part scholar, I did get a PhD, I, I really did try to find out, because the play is set in 1988, what did we know then? Uh, what are the sort of earmarks of Alzheimer's versus other types of dementia? And she, she does fall for someone in the play who has a different type of dementia, Parkinson's-based uh, dementia. Uh, but hers is is uh, neurodegenerative, and uh, you just try not to make any mistakes <laughs> that someone can can call you on when you put the play up. Uh, you know, you don't want to assert that there were advances that had been made that actually hadn't been made until ten or fifteen years later. So it's it's really sort of a, a uh, self dramaturging. Uh, process that that you apply as you write your play, or at least that's that's how I do it. I'm wondering if this is your first play that includes memory loss or dementia. Boy, um, now you're testing my memory. <laughs> I believe it is. I believe it is certainly in a in a central way. Yes, I'm fairly confident in saying that yes it definitely is and one of the strange fruits that this play has borne for me is that uh after writing the play and and getting it up in, in towards production which was several years in the making because it was delayed uh, because of the pandemic my own father uh, started uh, developing dementia so it was a case of life imitating art and yes. um, not the other way around. And um, that has given me a new appreciation for this play, for how it might affect people who are, who are going through what Thomas is going through in my play, Thomas being the son of Prupain. And it's, it, it has, uh, caused me to have many more conversations, not only with uh, people in the field as I start arranging memory care for my father, but uh, my colleagues at NYU, where I'm a professor, uh, all their parents who and and what my colleagues have gone through, and it has pulled me into a into a community, and it's it's some it's sometimes remarkable that uh, one of your own creations will will precede what you go through to that to, to pull you into the dementia community. Thank you for sharing that personal story of your your now connection to dementia. And with this new connection, I'm curious to know what do you hope this play inspires for people who are living with dementia and, and people who care about them? Uh, I'm very grateful for that question because no one has uh, asked me that question yet. And I had never had to think about it as before as someone who wasn't dealing in immediate way with someone with dementia. But I, I hope that they link uh, Prue's journey through the play as finding her heart as a kind of unintended lesson plan for 
how to navigate what it's like to live with with uh, someone who who has dementia. Try to keep reminding yourself about your own heart and what it is that you love about this person who may in some ways, if not many ways, be unrecognizable to you now. And, uh, you know, sort of percolating through the play is this idea that all we have is the moment. I mean, she is about to write her memoir. And when she experiences this emotional, tumultuous event, she no longer can put her mark on the world. She can't finish her memoir. It's, it's sort of a sad aspect of the play. So this play exhorts us to really live in the moment. And that is such a great uh, lesson to apply to uh, how I'm trying to apply it to my father, to uh, appreciate him in the moment, who he is now as he changes, because uh, I'm seeing different aspects of him, some that are really quite lovely and uh, tender. There's a sort of tenderness in him that wasn't there before. So if we can remember to do that, uh, if my play can uh, affect someone uh, who, who is going through this, what a treat that is for me, how, how grateful I'll be for that. And Stephen, we do feel so grateful for you. And we do thank you for sharing your personal story. And what a twist of fate in writing this play and pouring so much into it. And then finding out that you're on this journey as well. And what it, what depth of insight that you already have. And I love this thought of living in the moment. And if people can come to the play and walk away and just take that away from it, that you'll be grateful. And, you know, I think that they'll be grateful for that as well. You include and I don't want to say his name incorrectly, <laughs> but you need to help me with this. The okay. Louis Mao. Uh, Louis Mal, the Louis the, Mal. There you go. The Louis Mal quote in the director. It, yeah. Tell um, us a little bit more about him and the introduction of the characters in the script. And the quote you use is Proust to amuse you and Tintin to instruct you. Right. Uh Louis Mal is is a film director, and he, you know, I can't remember what film that's from. Is it from Au Revoir les Enfants? I don't remember. Um, but there is a moment in the film where uh, an instructor hands to one of the boys a book, and he just says, as, as a sort of offhand comment, comment uh, Proust to amuse you, Tintin to instruct you, and it's it speaks to Prue's uh, journey in the play. I mean, Proust is you know high art, and Tintin is this you know cartoon or you know comic book character, and she finds herself uh, indulging in things she never would have indulged in before when she had to be this critic of high seriousness, as she is finding her heart and humor and love, and so. There was something about that quote as 
uh, an epigram to my play that you know the path to wisdom may not just be learning but that can just amuse us like if if we can just see that her pursuit of high seriousness is is from a different perspective a rather funny thing that she spent her whole life trying to pursue and that she really finds her happiness when she indulges in the more popular and, the, and sort of the baser appetites if you will and and falls in love with uh with this man and finds finds her heart this man who you know doesn't know so much about uh beethoven and brahms but teaches her spike jones and the mills brothers and and popular music like that you know and love uh, and love exactly right so um that exactly right yeah this has been such an interesting conversation learning about uh the origins of prue pain learning more about your journey and, and life imitating art before we close our conversation could you give us your final thought when it comes to prue pain this feels like a monumental play for me i've written many plays some have been well received some less than well received uh well most most are well received but some are smaller and little sketches and some have more scope than others this one feels big to me it feels like uh it has high stakes and and it's not a it's not an epic saga that that takes place over a century but it does feel like an internal epic saga for this character it feels like a, a, an emotionally monumental play and i do hope people come and see it and and test my theory that that it is that kind of play and i'll be able to to see in real time uh people experiencing it that way it may feel so monumental to me just because as i say the playwright stephen druckman taught me later on in life about dementia and and all the the lessons i can glean from this play that this playwright wrote for me now um so it feels like a rather big big play for me that's beautiful <laughs> that the playwright yourself taught you lessons that you can learn today to help you navigate the journey that you are going through with your own father and your mother as a caregiver. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Today, our conversation has been with Stephen Druckmann, a playwright. We are so grateful for your time and appreciate you helping us untangle the world premiere of Prue Payne. For our listeners, Prue Payne will be playing in Tucson, Arizona, March 4th through 25th, and in Phoenix, Arizona, March 30th through April 16th. Tickets are available through the Arizona Theater Company at atc.org or by calling 1-800-ATC-SEAT. Look forward to seeing you there. And thank you so much, uh, Stephen. We so appreciate you sharing so many insights and everything that you poured into this play that will help others navigate their own dementia journey and as it helps you as well. I encourage people in the dementia journey to do as Stephen has shared, to live in the moment. And so again, 
Thank you so much, Stephen, for joining us today. I'm so grateful to uh, have had this invitation. Thank you so much for, for paying attention to Prupane. Well, and thank you, Heather, for another great conversation. And we really appreciate you, our listeners. Thank you for joining us. And if you haven't already, please subscribe and share this podcast. I'm looking forward to our next conversation on Dementia Untangled. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Dementia Untangled. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Dementia Untangled is hosted by Heather Mulder and Janice Greeno, produced and edited by Amber Ayers, and is brought to you by Banner Alzheimer's Institute and Banner Sun Health Research Institute. We are supported by generous donations to the Banner Alzheimer's Foundation. Please visit our website at banneralz.org and follow us on Facebook to learn about upcoming events. If you have questions or comments, please email us at dementiauntangled at bannerhealth.com. Mm-hmm.